0: Hi, welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. My name is Jillian, and we're so glad you're joining us. Today, Brian Broderson continues through our series, Life in His Name, with a message entitled, The Holy Spirit's Work in the World. I don't know about you, but it can be hard to hear a message that tells us we are lost, condemned, and unable to save ourselves through our own efforts. Today's message reminds us that the Holy Spirit comes to us, it convicts us, and most of all, it comforts us wherever we are. Let us all ask for a fresh outpouring of his spirit and to revive his work in our day. Grab your Bible, your writing utensils and notebooks and jot down all the things that stand out to you today. We are here once again in uh, John's gospel, in these chapters that we've we've kind of been camping out in them a little bit. Maybe you remember a few weeks back, I, I kind of did an overview of 14 through 16 and, and focused in on the passages that, that have to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as I pointed out, this is the most in-depth teaching of Jesus on the person and, and the work of the Spirit. And then um, you know, Char came back over the past couple weeks and took us through the 15th chapter And focusing in on that, just that beautiful picture that Jesus gives us of how to bear fruit. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who abides in me will bring forth much fruit. And looking at that, and then coming back today now to chapter 16, we're going to spend today and next Sunday looking at portions of this Uh, 16th chapter. So we're going to zero in today on verses 7 through 11. And we've already looked at these verses, but we also uh, were looking at the other four verses about the Spirit. So we weren't able to give the kind of focus that we're going to give to uh, the passage today. But let me just remind you, the context here is this is the last the last time Jesus is going to be with his disciples and instructing them before he goes to the cross. And so his ob- objective really is to comfort them, to encourage them, and to let them know, even though he's going away, he's not going to abandon them. But as he tells them here, he is going to send them another helper. He's going to send them a helper to fulfill the mission that he is giving to them. And that mission is, as he said, you will testify of me. So that really is the mission of the church. It was the mission given to them, and it's the mission that has passed on to us. Uh, the church is to testify about Jesus, to spread the gospel as far and wide as possible, and to bring people from every tribe, nation, and language into a relationship with the Lord into a place where they worship and they serve him that that's the mission that he gives them and he's going to then encourage them with the fact that they're not going to do this alone they're not going to be left to their own resources but they're going to be uh, enabled by this one that he calls the helper or the advocate so let me read just real quickly verses 7 through 11 again but very truly I tell you it is for your good that I am going away unless I go away the advocate or the helper will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you when he comes he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I go to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So you're going to testify of me. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he is going to convict the world of these things. Now, when we think about this, this mission of getting the gospel to people, you know, it's a little bit daunting when you really stop and think about it. In in some ways, it seems insurmountable. And the reason it seems that way is because we are tasked with proclaiming a message that, quite honestly, most people do not want to hear. So you know, sometimes I, I kind of, in my conversations with the Lord, um, I feel like, you know, Lord, you kind of, you, you sort of want us to fight with both hands tied behind our back. <laughs> you know, we've got, um, we've got a message that is unpopular, and we've got people that just do not care to hear it. That is a challenge. I think we would. All agree that that is a challenge because, of course, the message is a message to people that they are lost, that they are condemned, that they are incapable through their own efforts of doing anything to alter that. This is downright offensive to people. And so this is this is our objective, our, our ultimate Uh, task is to explain to someone that they are a sinner in need of a savior when they don't see that to be the case at all. Now, I said our our um, our task is to ultimately explain that to someone, and I say ultimately intentionally because I don't think that we necessarily lead with that. In other words, I don't recommend that you go out today and maybe you're gonna go to uh, have lunch at the restaurant or something. And when the waiter comes at the table, I don't recommend that you say, hey, did you know that you're a sinner and that you're condemned and that uh, you can't do anything to save yourself? I don't recommend that we lead like that. But ultimately, if anybody's gonna come to Jesus they're going to have to face this reality that I am lost and sinful and I can't save myself. If you are saved here today, you came to that conclusion. But here's the truth. You did not come to that conclusion on your own. The Holy Spirit actually did something to convince you of that. And so that's, that's the good news for us, that we're not, we're not alone in this. And this is the way it has always been. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul writes this letter to the church in the city of Corinth. And he's just reminding them of his own experience. He says, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. That is the reality today, right? It's a stumbling block to people. It's foolishness to people. But this is what we've been called to. So how does the gospel break through this kind of blindness and hardness and resistance that is characteristic of every single person? See, every person has this. It's not just some people. Everyone has within them this, just this automatic resistance. I I heard the story of um, C. Everett Koop. Some of you who are like my age would know that name. He was formerly the uh, Surgeon General of the United States. And he was known in his role as a Surgeon General. He was known as as being a Christian. But I heard his story about how he became a Christian. And he became a Christian at uh, 10th Avenue Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He went to the church simply because he had some sort of religious background and thought he probably ought to go to church. He didn't go to church because... I love Jesus and I want to know him better. He went sort of out of religious duty. And he describes how for one year, week after week, he sat. And every time the preacher got up to preach, his name was Donald Gray Barnhouse. Every time Barnhouse preached, Coop sat there and argued in his mind with him. That's ridiculous. Why did he say that? I don't believe that. That's stupid. Nobody thinks that way. Sound familiar? I <laughs> mean, this is what happens, right? We we resist. We, we come up with reasons why we shouldn't believe that. Reasons why that doesn't really apply to me. I used to come to this church before I was a Christian, occasionally. Truth be told, I was looking for a nice girl. Because I heard there were cute... Nice girls here, so I thought, okay, I'll check it out. And I remember, <laughs> they would give an invitation to come and receive Jesus, and I can tell you, I would just sit there and argue with the person up here about all the reasons why I did not need to do that. And then I would go on my merry way, and still think about it. Ah, oh, that's stupid. I mean, the guy said that. I mean, what is he? Why did? Why did he? Doesn't he know? And all of those kinds of things. So this is this is our natural response. But so here's the question, how does does the gospel break through that? Well, the answer is right here, I will send the helper to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. It's through the Holy Spirit that this happens. Now, as I already said, we looked at this passage a few weeks ago, but we just um, weren't able to spend too much time on it. Um, but when we looked at it, I said that there are two ways the Holy Spirit does this. We talked about the Spirit does these things uh, independent sometimes of any human instrumentation. The Spirit just begins to work in, in an in, invisibly in somebody. That's one way. And I said the other way is that the Spirit uses his people through preaching, telling, showing, and praying. So what I want to focus on today, I think we focused a little bit more on the the Spirit, sort of that mysterious work of the Spirit, but today I want to focus a little bit more on, on the work of the Spirit through the church. Because what we're going to see is that this is the way. How does the Spirit convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? He does it through the telling of the message. Maybe you remember we talked a little bit a while back. Maybe maybe not. It was the first of the year. Uh, we talked about mm-hmm. preaching and telling. And I said that all Christians, every single Christian is called to tell the story not every christian is called to preach in the sense of you know having a platform and getting up to an audience and proclaiming some people are called to do that but the majority of christians are called to tell the story and it's through preaching and telling the story that the gospel advances so we're going to um Put the emphasis on that in a moment. But first, let's look at what Jesus said the Spirit does in the world. The Spirit proves the world wrong or convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, Frederick Dale Bruner is a theologian and a Bible uh, Bible commentator. He wrote a great commentary on the Gospel of John. Um, he, he put it this way, and I thought it was kind of clever the way he put it. He said um, what, what's being described here is um, the world is wrong about what is wrong. The Spirit is going to prove that the world is wrong about what is wrong, that the world is wrong about what is right, and that the world is wrong about who wins. So, the world is wrong about what is wrong. Simply, the world thinks that this is the problem. The Holy Spirit says, no, this is the problem. The world thinks this is right. The world says, no, or the, the Holy Spirit says, no, this is right. And the world thinks that this is how it's all going to end. And the Holy Spirit says, no, this is how it's all going to end. Now, the world. He will convict the world. Remember uh, last time Char talked to us about the world, how we need to understand through the context, we need to understand what world is he talking about. And the, the definition for the world here is that mass of humanity that resist and oppose the rule and reign of God in the earth. So we're not talking about the world in the material sense, but we're talking about the spirit of the world that emanates from the people in the world in uh, opposition to God. So going with uh, Brunner's sort of points here, uh, the world is wrong about what is wrong. So what is wrong in the world? That's the question. What is wrong in the world? Now, all of us think that there are many wrong and evil realities in the world and we could each make a rather long list of them. Isn't that true? If I just said, okay, we're going to take the next five minutes and we're going to hand you a pencil and a a sheet of paper and I want you just to write down a list of things that are wrong. All of us could come up with things that we would consider to be wrong. And our list would not be wrong. All the wrongs would surely be wrong indeed. But at the root of all those wrongs, there is an even greater wrong, and that is the world's refusal to believe in Jesus. So Jesus says that the Spirit is going to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. So there are all kinds of things that are wrong, but Jesus says this is the ultimate wrong. This is, the, this is at the root of all else that is wrong. But some would, some would question, well, is, is that really true? Could that really be the case? Well, Jesus said it's the case. And think about this. If, we, if Jesus really is who John's gospel records him to be, who does John's gospel record him to be? John's gospel tells us that he is God. He's the great God on a personal visit to the earth. That's who Jesus is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. So if that is true, then the refusal to believe this greatest of all realities would in fact be the greatest of all wrongs. See, this is the greatest of all realities. But isn't it amazing that the greatest of all realities is completely marginalized by the vast majority of people in the world? I mean, if you were to ask somebody, like, what, you know, what is the greatest wrong in the world, nobody would say, oh, it's the rejection of Jesus. But that is what it is. Jesus said, that's what it is. Now, in connection to that, in the end, people will die and be judged and be sent to hell. In the end, that will happen. But they will not be sent to hell for the sins they have committed. Although they will factor into their judgment, people will perish For refusing to put their trust in the Son of God. That will be the the sin that condemns people. The refusal to put their trust in the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. The Holy Spirit's primary task is to awaken people to their need for Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is primarily doing in relation to the world. Now, the second thing, the world is wrong about what is right. So Brunner means by this, so the world has its standard of what's right. The world says this is right. This is the ultimate right. But the Holy Spirit has a different standard. What is right according to Jesus, and this is what the Spirit is convicting people of is a life of perfect obedience to the father's will this is this is the ultimate right and jesus is actually he's living this out and that's why it says that the the spirit will convict the world of righteousness jesus says because i go to the father meaning either i go to the father in the sense of i'm going to the cross which is my ultimate act of obedience to the father or I go to the Father, meaning I go to the cross and the resurrection and back to the Father, which means that the Father is receiving my righteousness. And it's through my righteousness I'm able to access God. And it probably actually means both of those things. But here we know that the world puts very little importance on obedience to God. Very little importance on obedience to God. According to the world, and I would contextualize that to say this present moment in this place in the Western world, what is the most right thing anybody can do? Well, in our context, the most right thing anybody can do is be true to themselves, that's, that's what's being pushed in the culture today. That's what's being emphasized. That's what's being demanded. That, that everyone is able to um, determine who they are and then express who they are, however they determine who or what they are. And anybody who resists that or questions that even, that's evil. That's, that's terrible. So this is the great right. Right. This is the great righteousness in our present cultural moment, but the world is wrong about what is right. It's not, the great right is not to discover and express myself. The great right is to submit myself to the one who made me and the one who died for me. And then thirdly, the world is wrong about who wins. The world is wrong about who wins. The world and, and in this I would just say the world is wrong about the the, the future. The world is wrong about the past. <laughs> Whenever I hear people pontificating about the billions and billions of years and such and such and this and that and the other thing happened, then I just think that is just I I can't hardly stand hearing that. But yeah. people also talk about the future in those kinds of ways. Well, this is where it's all headed and this is where it's gonna go and this is gonna happen here and this nation's gonna do this and, and everybody's sorta of got it all planned out and mapped out and this is what it's gonna look like a million years from now. Well, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of the fact that your plan is dead in the water. Your, your plan isn't going, even though you might think it is. Convict the world of judgment. In life, Brunner said this, in life, it, is all, it all too often looks as if the ruler of this world, the devil, wins the good versus evil contest in the world. From the cross through the Holocaust to the contemporary violence, corruption, and sleaze. You know, you look around, it just seems like the devil who's behind all of this, it, it seems like he's he's winning. He's got all the resources. He's got all he's got the 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 stronger team, the greater army. He's winning, it seems. The Holy Spirit, however, will encourage the church to live, preach, and teach the victories won, and her Lord is risen and reigns, all appearances to the contrary notwithstanding. I love that last little part. All appearances to the contrary notwithstanding. So we say Jesus won, and he will soon show forth his victory. We look around and say, God, it doesn't kind of really look like that's happening, but it is. If you look more closely, it is. So this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So how, how does this take place? Well, going back to what I said earlier, the Spirit uses... The church. And and this is the point that Jesus is making that I think we need to really get a hold of. Jesus says, I will send you the Spirit, and he will convict the world of sin. And I think we could easily add this to what Jesus said, because this is what he means. I will send you, the church, the Spirit, and through you, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You see, it's through the church that this is going to happen. As I said, through preaching, telling, living, and praying. Now, one more quote here. We already talked about the world is wrong about what is wrong, wrong about what is right, wrong about who won. And all and in all three cases, the Spirit will do this convicting charismatically. By way of testimony, preaching, and teaching, the Spirit through the church will point exclusively to Jesus himself as the answer to all three of these most disputed questions. I threw in a word that you never heard before, kerygmatically. And this is not really an English word. It's, it's a kind of an anglicized version of a Greek word. And kerygma is... Um, you find this word in the Greek New Testament, and it's a reference to the message preached. And again, I want, I want us to see this. What we are being told is simply this, that the gospel spreads by word of mouth, and people are saved by hearing and believing a message by hearing and believing a message so see this is this is something that we can't forget now we we us right here from this pulpit we emphasize rightfully the need to really live our faith to be like jesus or jesus formed community on mission meaning we want to be more like jesus we we, we want to live our lives like him. But we have to remember, if we're living our lives like Jesus, what was Jesus known as primarily? Jesus was a preacher. That's how he was known. He was a preacher. And so that has to be a component. Sometimes uh, people think, well, I'm just going to live a good life, and that'll be sufficient, and people will see my good life, and then they'll go, wow, Christianity's great because that person is really good, um, well, they're not going to draw that conclusion unless, first of all, they know you're living a good life because you're actually a Christian. So there has to be a verbalization. There has to be verbal communication. The Holy Spirit, and here's what happens. The Holy Spirit brings the message to bear upon the hearts and minds of the hearers. The Spirit takes His words spoken by us to others and convicts and convinces them of their need for Jesus. See, this is something that's so... Remember, Jesus is wanting to encourage these guys. And He's wanting to encourage us. He's wanting us to know, and Char pointed this out last week, you're not alone in what you're doing you're it's not just okay get out there and do it take this message that nobody wants to hear and make them hear it no we take the message the Holy Spirit's job is to make them hear it but they've got to they've got to hear it first it's got to get into their ear that happens through us but then the Spirit takes it to where it needs to go in the heart. And so that's the way the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He does it through the message, through the kerygma, through, through this message about Jesus that is proclaimed. And, you know, I said this earlier, and I'm I'm a very opinionated person. And I have things that I like, and I have things that I don't like. And there are ways that people go about evangelism that I do not like. I just think, oh, gosh, that is just, no, don't do it like that. It's obnoxious. And although I do think, like I said uh, earlier, uh, I don't think, you know, our, we, we lead with to the waiter, hey, you're a lost sinner, you're going to hell, you need a savior. I think we need to be wiser and more, <laughs> I just think we need to do, do that differently. But sometimes in our preferences and in our the way we like things, sometimes we would almost go for not doing it at all rather than having it done what in our minds is poorly. But I've lived long enough to know that people have come to faith in Jesus through methods that I would never have employed myself. So we have to be careful here. We have to be careful. We need to get the word out. So this is why we need to support. We might not agree with the particular method, but we need to support through prayer and affirmation every effort to get the gospel within earshot of people, whether we like the way it's packaged or not. Now, Right now, in our culture, there are... It's really an interesting moment right now. I, you know, we, we kind of... If we're, if we're attuned to what's going on outside of our houses, um, we know that the world's pretty crazy. The world is, is gone kind of just nuts. And yet, interestingly, there's also... Jesus is sort of being put forth in front of the culture in interesting ways right now. There's, um, there's this uh, series called The Chosen, which has been around for quite a while now, I think three or four seasons, and recently it's, it's, it's gone on to Netflix, which is pretty fascinating. And The Chosen is about the life And ministry of Jesus how many of you have seen the chosen okay so you know what I'm talking about now there are lots of opinions about the chosen some people think it's the greatest thing ever it's amazing I just really like I just feel like it's so representative of who Jesus is some people feel that way other people are like you know what that didn't happen like that you know that's not in the Bible what are they doing How come they're messing up the story? So there's, there's all kinds of opinions about it. I have not watched it myself, simply because I just generally don't watch those kinds of movies, because I'll be the guy going, no, 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 Jesus did not do that. No, Jesus did not act like that. Jesus did not say that. Just a confession. But. I pray that God will use it, and I affirm that God is using it, and if somebody tells me, you know, I'm watching The Chosen, I'd say, God bless you. That's awesome. Keep watching, because we want people to hear about Jesus. We understand that the more exposure they have to Jesus, the higher the probability that they might come to faith, right? So here's another thing. How many of you watched the Super Bowl last week? (laughs) Did you know the Super Bowl was last week? We don't really talk about that stuff much here, especially when Char's preaching, because he admitted last week that he's not much of a sports guy, and I confess that that is my failure as a father. (laughs) But I did help him learn to play guitar, which is, I think, balanced it all out. Um, <laughs> okay, but during the Super Bowl last week, there's, there were these ads, and so there was a campaign. Christians got together, they put in a bunch of money, and they said... Uh, we want to get the gospel in front of as many people as we possibly can. So they did this campaign, and the campaign was called He Gets Us. Now, a friend of mine has been very involved in this, and I knew about it months and months ago before it ever came. And I remember when he said, the campaign is called He Gets Us. I thought, oh, God, that's so cheesy, He Gets Us. I mean, it just sounds so corny to me. So I did not like that at all. But as I sat watching the Super Bowl, And as I saw these ads, the ads, I thought, were actually kind of amazing. And they were all like situational things, you know, where they just kind of created these these situations that we would be familiar with. And then they inserted Jesus into it. The, The last one I saw was one where, I mean, it's just people like cursing at each other, people threatening each other, all of this violence and hatred and animosity And then it says, love your enemies, you know, Jesus. And so, again, I I look at it and I think, "This this is a moment. This is a moment. And even though I didn't like the original, you know, packaging of it in the sense of the theme, man, the content and the message, Jesus, the message of Jesus is getting out into the culture. We want that to happen because that has to happen for people to get saved as we're seeing. <coughs> and the Holy Spirit <coughs> is able to take that. So this week the premiere of The Jesus Revolution is coming. And The Jesus Revolution, if you don't know, it's basically it's the story of Greg and Kathy Laurie and their meeting and, but basically they're coming to faith, but it's a story that's in the context of this church with Pastor Chuck being played by Kelsey Grammer and Lonnie Frisbee, who was one of the early evangelists here being played by Jonathan Rumi, the guy who plays Jesus in the, um, in the chosen. And this film is going to be played all around the country and people are going to hear about Jesus. And so when it comes to these things, I think, I mean, unless it's just something blatantly obviously not true about Jesus or glorifying him, we have to set aside our preferences at times and just say, you know what? I thank God that Jesus is being put front and center in American culture right now. I thank God for that. Because I know that through that, the Holy Spirit is going to be able to take those words that are proclaimed in these various contexts and use them in people's lives. D.L. Moody, who was the 19th century, late 19th century version of Billy Graham, he conducted large-scale evangelistic campaigns. Uh, He was criticized by someone for his evangelistic methods. In other words, people didn't like the way he did it. And I think his response is good. He said, I prefer my way of doing evangelism to your way of not doing evangelism. (laughs) And so often that's the reality. The people criticizing the method are not doing anything themselves. And let's not be those people. And so this is what I'm saying. Even if, we, even if we don't get on board with it, even if we might not necessarily find it something that we resonate with on our level of taste, we just recognize, you know, God is at work. And we thank God that he is at work work and so preaching telling praying preaching we look for opportunities to preach but i think god we have a radio station and through that radio station the gospel is is being broadcast 24 7 and i could stand up here all day and tell you amazing stories of how people have come to faith by stumbling on the station. Didn't even know it existed. Picked up a rental car, turned on the radio, and it happened to be this 107.9 thing. And they heard a message that began something in them that would eventually lead them to faith. I've heard that story personally many times over. And so preaching, telling, us just telling people about Jesus, about what he if if nothing else telling people about what he's done for us that's huge right there telling people what he's done for us and then praying also and in closing i want to just talk for just a quick second about <clears throat> praying for awakening we need an awakening we need a spiritual awakening an awakening is that it manifests itself in different ways. Spirit conviction upon the culture through exposure to the gospel, when that happens, people start to be awakened. It might begin by annoyance, irritation. Turn that off. I don't want to hear that. Don't talk to me about that anymore. I'll never forget this incident that I experienced years ago, where we went out on the street to do, you know, outreach, and I approached a guy to talk to him. He said, "Don't talk to me," and I said, "Well, I just wanted," I said, "Don't talk to me," <laughs> and I mean, this guy was like, he was absolutely just do not. Talk to me about this. And, you know, probably most of the time, I would say, okay, I'm going to move on and talk to that guy. But for some reason, I kept persisting. I kept coming back around. And, you know, finally, he let me talk to him. And at the end of the conversation, you know what he said? He said, thank you for talking to me. (laughs) And he said, I never heard this stuff before. So the Holy Spirit did something in that 30-minute window. And so the spirit conviction, we pray for that. Spirit conviction within the church through the influence of Scripture as God convicts us through his word and says to us, you know, you need to be more serious. You need to be more serious about your own commitment to me. You need to be more serious about the mission that I've called you into. We need to pray for the Spirit to empower us as believers. Now, if you put these different passages together that we have here in John, or if you go into the book of Acts, the book of Acts is really the It's called the Acts of the Apostles. It very well could just be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because that's really what it's all about. But if you put these things together, you have have in Acts chapter 2, you have the Holy Spirit coming down in power upon believers, empowering them to be a witness for Jesus. So let's say you have this here. You have the empowered believers. And over here, you have the convicted world. When these two things collide, you know what you have? You have a great harvest of souls. You have a great move of God that changes lives and changes communities and changes society sometimes. So that's what we want to pray for. We want to, we want to see that happen. Now, some of you might have heard, heard about this and some of you might not. Uh, Asbury College in Kentucky. Um, this is a... Old college, it's a Methodist college, goes back many years. Uh, They have been having this phenomena for the last over a week. They have had a church service that has gone on now 24-7 for over a week. And it's a college, so it's mostly college students. But thousands of student-aged people are coming there, and they are—it's pretty simple. It sounds like they're just basically worshiping the Lord— They're on their knees praying. Some people are getting up and talking about how they're convicted and they want to turn away from their sin. And there's not a whole lot of hype or any, there's no personality that's driving it. Um, it, It's pretty amazing. In 1970, they had an almost identical thing. And you know, in 1970, you know what that was? That was kind of like the, that was like, a critical moment in what we call now the Jesus people movement. In 1970, that same kind of thing was happening right here on these grounds. So the spirit of God was moving. But here's the sad thing. The sad thing is if you look on Twitter, half the Christians on Twitter are criticizing it. Oh, but how come they're doing this? And why aren't they doing that? And I didn't hear any Bible studies given. And, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Can't we just stop and say, God, thank you that thousands of young people are worshiping you right now. That is amazing. That's a wonderful thing. God, do it here. Do it all over. It's actually spread already. Three different colleges this is happening. So who knows where it's going. But it's another one of those. It's kind of one of those signs. God is moving in the culture. And we want to rejoice in that. The last thing I want to say, and I talked about it before, but I'll just go back to the mysterious working of the Spirit in people's hearts. Thank God that the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts uh, to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, sometimes even completely apart from human instrumentation. And sometimes it's the Lord is just, he's doing something in somebody's mind and somebody's heart, He's bringing them to this place of ultimately receiving Jesus. On my trip home recently from Europe, I read once again the, uh, the story of C.S. Lewis's conversion. C.S. Lewis was an uh, um, Oxford Don. He was uh, held the chair of Renaissance and Medieval Literature at Cambridge University. One of the most brilliant men of the 20th century. And he came to faith, but he describes it's a long journey where the spirit of God is. He likened the spirit of God to like a hound tracking him down and finally bringing him to the place that he really never wanted to come. He didn't want to be a Christian, but he came to a point where he could no longer resist. And I think about that and I think, yes, thank you, Lord, that you're doing that, too. But all of this is the work of the Spirit, and as we finish today, let's ask the Lord for a fresh outpouring of His Spirit. That He might just come down upon people all around us in convicting power, and that He might use us, give us opportunity, and give us boldness to speak the message. To tell people about Jesus, what he's done for us, and what he wants to do for them. So, Lord, we pray for that. We pray for that move of your spirit among us, upon us, through us. We understand from the passage, Lord, that, that it's through your church that the Holy Spirit is going to do this work. And so here we are. We We yield ourselves up to you, and we pray that you would fill us afresh in Jesus' name. Amen.